0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson joined with the Tallahassee Democrats Andre Fernandez. <laughs> Andre, how are
1: you? <laughs> I'm doing good man. I'm getting ready. I'm not I'm still in Miami. I'm not quite there yet but you know it's a matter of a, a matter of a day or so or a few days. Actually, to get the move going a few about a couple of weeks but to actually be part of it uh, it's a, it's official now so but still still in Miami. for yeah, what- right now so
0: doing well. What is your plan? When do you plan to move up there? Because so I've got to try to figure out my minor league trips to that to that part of the state. So I need to know when you're up there.
1: Let's just say that if you if you go to Pensacola, if you catch a Blue Wahoos game, or actually, I'm still closer to the Jumbo Shrimp up mm-hmm. there, believe it or not. But if you go to either one in the month of July, it might be a good time in the month of July because you know how it is. Then August comes around, fall practices, and football starts heating up, and it gets. A, you know that my schedule is going to be murder by then.
0: All right. So July, Thursday, mullet night in Pensacola. Got it. We're good to go. go. <laughs>
1: That's all you need to do. Check, check, check. There you go. All
0: right. So we'll talk about minor leaguers in the second half of the show, just like we've been doing for the past. I think we're on six week of the minor league season now. <laughs> but first, let's obviously address the big league club. They came off of that road trip from hell, the nightmare road trip of one and eight with... An extra stop in Boston because why not? Thanks, Mother Nature. And they come back and they hold their own during the homestand. They go four and two, they go two and one against both the Colorado Rockies and the Atlanta Braves. Dre, this team, what they're five and two against Atlanta so far this year through seven games.
1: Yeah. And one of the biggest surprises, I think, if you look at the, on the grand scheme of things, is Atlanta's struggles. I mean, we know they've had a few injuries here and there, but the Braves just very surprisingly have not been able to get things going. And you know, to the Marlins credit, they, they took advantage and, and that's, that was the best thing they could do. You know, they took advantage of, you know, against the Rockies as well to kind of get, get things back on track at least for a week, you know, because yeah, thank you Sandy for making sure that what that road trip wasn't all in nine. And I mean, in the, in the big picture, you see little snippets of positive things happening. I mean, you know, it still doesn't convince me that, you know, the season is with the same way same place it was at maybe a week ago. I mean, a lot more would have to, Happen for this team to still not look at the long term right now and look at the, the potential, you know, the upcoming trade deadline, as you know, in their best interest probably to be sellers than than any kind of buyers or anything like that. But I mean, you don't want them to continue rapidly spiraling the way they were last week. Things were going so poorly, you know, and they continue to stretch pitchers out. This this week, you saw a little more uh, things happen in their favor to to those ends. And it was good to see, you know, if you guys come back, like, you know, Starling Marte was tremendous this week. And I know he's the hot topic of discussion, you know, speaking of what to do later at the trade at the trade deadline. Um, but again, you see some some good moments, you know, the pitching as well. You know, Trevor you know, did well again he had a good pitching. I had Pablo not so much on Sunday, but overall he has had a good season. And this is going to happen from time to time. Guys, you can't expect guys to be perfect every single outing. I guess the one concern and we mentioned this before we started recording was the fact that we, you know, as we talked about last season, Atlanta is always going to be one of the roadblocks. And if Pablo is one of the guys that's going to be here a while, you'd like to see him have a little more success against the Braves. And that's been a struggle for him.
0: Yeah. With Pablo again, to mention the start, the first start of the homestead, he goes a career long eight innings against Colorado, really holds his own, gives that bullpen, the breather that the Marlins have been looking for. And then on Sunday, Gives up three runs in the first inning. Needs thirty-nine pitches to get out of that first inning, and only goes three. Yeah. His career against Atlanta, he's made ten starts against them. He's two and five with a five-six-six six ERA. That's thirty earned runs yeah. over just forty-seven and two-thirds innings. Yeah. Obviously, you have that twenty-nine and nine game that everyone wants to have burned out of their memory, <laughs> but it will never be out of my memory after watching that thing unfold in person. You,
1: you, 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 you endured that thing all, all twenty-nine it. runs and. How long was that game? Like four and a half hours at least? Or?
0: Uh, I think I stopped keeping track of all of that once they got to the point where they gave up 20 runs. It was just like, okay, make sure I have the career marks <laughs> in there and just yeah. fill in the blanks once the game finally went final. But also Pablo overall, he's started against Atlanta twice this year. He's only done seven innings and he's giving up 10 earned runs. Yeah. That's not going to be – it's not going to be and, and, and and in a
1: year. Right. And in a year where the Braves are struggling, where you think maybe there's an opportunity here, a little window to do have a little more success against them. And still they're just raking when it comes to him. And, and yeah, it's one of the, one of the mainstays in the Marlins rotation. You don't want to see him get beat up like this by a, by a division rival that we know is going to be a formidable obstacle, you know, for the long, for the long run.
0: Yeah, no, and especially when the night before, when they're the Braves were throwing max Fried, the Marlins are throwing Zach Thompson who made his MLB debut back on Monday yeah. and Thompson throws five, five scoreless innings against them yeah, against the so. upper yeah. version of the Lions, The Braves used, they rested a lot of their guys. They rested Dansby Swanson. They rested a couple of the other big names and Ronald Acuna Jr. Left the game early out of precaution with a right pectoral injury. Mm-hmm. And Pablo still wasn't able to, to live up to it, which again, like you said, they're going to be these starts here and there. He's, but you also have think about it, he's had two of these in the last three. Because at before the start before the eighth inning, the eight innings he only won four. Right, he only with four. I believe that was the Toronto game where they lost on, in the walk off. Yeah. So again, so two of his last three have been rough ones where maybe it's things catching up to him, maybe it's just that rough streak. But we're they're getting to that juncture where they need to start figuring things out to know which direction they're going to go in the next in five weeks from now when the deadline happens.
1: Yeah. I mean, you pretty much, I think you have to know at this point more or less, but yeah, you're right. If they're barring something happening in the next week or so, I mean, now comes another tough road trip, you know, they're facing the Cardinals who are trying to stay in the race. They're facing the Cubs who are red hot right now. And, you know, one of the best teams overall in the major leagues, but, you know, overall, yeah, you don't want to see that from Pablo because, you know, again, we've talked about it to death, the wear and tear of that pitching staff. And you don't want to, and a guy, you know, knock on wood, Pablo has been good, but we have seen in the past, he has had setbacks and whatnot. You don't want to add him. I mean, God, at this point, I don't think I'm jinxing anything. I mean, everybody on this roster has been hurt this season. it, It feels like, I mean, even, you know, today or Sunday, I'm sorry. You see Jose Devers go down now with an injury as well. I mean, it seems like every other pitcher they call up the, the, the very next day they end up on the IL or they have a setback or, it's like that. When is this team going to have some kind of like reversal of fortune when it comes to all of the injury bug here?
0: Yeah, and to just recap the injuries because you hit it up at the perfect time. Uh, shortstop Miguel Rojas, he was scheduled to start a rehab assignment with A on Sunday after dislocating that index finger on that dive in the Philly series. That game got washed out, so it looks like he's not going to be able to start it until Tuesday. His goal, he only wants to go on the rehab assignment for a couple of days just to see velocity similar to what Starling Marte did before rejoining the team in Boston. So the hope would probably be if he does two or three games there, flies up and joins the team during the off day in Chicago on Thursday and rejoins them during the weekend, that would give the offensive boost and also help with that infield depth, especially if, depending on the severity of Devers, of Jose Devers' injury. Uh, Brian Anderson with the shoulder injury, he's still a bit away. He took some grounders on Sunday, but still hasn't done anything with a bat. He still hasn't done too much on-field work. They're still doing a lot of range of motion stuff with him, so it looks like it's still going to be a little bit of time for him. Uh, Edward Cabrera threw his second rehab assignment in Jupiter on Sunday. He threw three scoreless innings, eight Ks, two hits, no walks allowed, which, again, that's great, but you also have to consider, A, it's low A, and B, he's still only going three innings. So you know there still is some buildup with him, And we talked with Marlins general manager, Kim Ang, I believe it was on Tuesday last week. And I asked her specifically about the next steps for Edward Cabrera after he's built up in Jupiter. And she said that they don't have an exact plan for where he's going to go next level, wise whether it's bring him up to double A or triple A or how long they're going to want to see him at the minor leagues before making a full-fledged decision with him.
1: Right, yeah, because that's that's the whole thing. I was gonna say this isn't a guy that you're waiting on to just plop him in there, and it's not, you know, a guy coming off an injury, a former major leaguer. This is a guy that that when he does, that's his debut. So again, it's that combination of you're trying to fill bodies in there and get effective players back in your lineup. But some of those guys, even now, losing Devers, you say, yeah, it hurts the in- it definitely hurts the infield depth right now. But here's a guy that shouldn't. Again, we talked about it exactly. <laughs> In an ideal world, he's not even there yet. He's in the minors, continuing, uh, you know, his development and 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 all that. So again, they're kind of caught between that rock and a hard place again when it comes to the injuries, and we'll see. I mean, getting Miggy back is huge. Both we we know that both on the field and and in the clubhouse. So again, it's a it's one good step for them, and hopefully, it's something they can build on because they're going to need everything they can in this coming road trip.
0: Yeah, and with that infield, a couple guys to talk about in there. Obviously, the first one is Jazz Chisholm Jr. Uh, the Marlins did the Bahamian Heritage Celebration. He, you can just you were able to feel the energy inside the ballpark on Saturday. They're still yeah. at the in the pods, the twenty-seven percent max capacity, but there were over eight thousand in the ballpark, and I'm pretty. I believe Jazz said that he anticipated about a thousand were going to be people he either knew or were from the island. Uh, the entire Auto Nation Alley was packed with people at the who were students at the Bahamian Baseball Academy that he played at growing up. Uh, there were a, there, some of his family were literally right under the press box. I was able to see them reacting every time he went up to bat. And granted, that was the one game from this homestand where he didn't really do much outside of his trip around the base in the first inning. Walks, walks, gets a second on the grounder, gets a third on the wild pitch. And then scores on a sack fly that barely makes it in the center field, just with his speed. But throughout his last couple of weeks, he's reached base in 11 of his last 12 games. His OPS is up to 8.34. He has the clutch it, and that energy is just him coming back and bringing that spark into the lineup, both personality wise and just knowing that when he gets on base, just knowing that he can wreak havoc in some way, it's starting to help them again in that aspect.
1: Here's the thing, and Jazz isn't gonna only do this on Bahamian Heritage Night. He's gonna he is the he's he has the potential to be the fate that face of the franchise potential that this franchise hasn't seen since the last regime, since they sent Stanton away and Yelich and all these guys, which really like Stanton was the name, really, because even Yelich and Ozuna, their careers have taken off even more since they left. But Stanton and even before that, you know, rest in peace, Jose. Yes, those that that's what I see in jazz. Like, you know, again, it's early. We don't know yet. He hasn't taken that next step yet. It's starting. It's the beginnings of it. But he has that. He just has that feel. He has that electricity to him, that that excitement, that that's something about a dynamic player that you haven't seen here yet in the last few years. And and that's big. I mean, look, they had eight thousand. They're only at twenty seven percent capacity to me. The intriguing part is when they do open it up how much more are they going to have? Because it's, that sounds nice right now when you're, it's only a 27, but when you completely open up the arena, are you going to get only two grand more? And it's going to be like 10. Cause that's kind of a, they've seen that before on Saturdays. You know, sometimes even when the Mets are here, you get 18 maybe, mm-hmm. but are, is, are you truly going to have as, is, are they ever going to get to the point where they have that kind of a real electric atmosphere and not on a, and not on a promotion night either, like on a, just,
0: not on the college college
1: one night or exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like just because it's a Saturday night and you want to go see the Marlins and jazz is tearing it up and it's a heck of a pitching, et cetera, et cetera. The Grom's facing Sandy, whatever, that sort of thing. Like that's, when is it going to get to that point? I wonder. And that's what I think is going to be intriguing to see once it opens up completely.
0: Well, and just to note that first weekend or that first series that they will be open up completely is with the Dodgers. So yeah. you could potentially get that Sandy Kershaw rematch that maybe right. will actually work out to the point where Sandy isn't tipping his pitches and throwing one in the third. And you might actually get that <laughs> ace versus ace matchup yeah. that yeah, we were hoping to better. see in LA. Yeah.
1: Let's but, hope for matchup sake, it's even a lot better than that was in LA yes, for sure. definitely.
0: So. And with jazz again, it's just the fact that he's given the Marlins a player that MLB on a national level is recognizing The Mm -hmm. fact that people will look and go, oh wow, Jazz hit a home run, and you'll see some of the national writers and basically pointing out a player on the Miami Marlins. We haven't seen that in a few years. Right,
1: that's what I mean. That's exactly right. Since fifty, since Stanton hit fifty nine, and we had the huge chase here, and even then, you know, you had that, and then you had a legend like Ichiro, who of course just the name value that didn't have that wasn't a guy made here, obviously, but you haven't had that kind of buzz, and it's not even there yet really it hasn't gotten to that that point yet but it but i just it's it looks like just the ingredients are there if everything breaks right and he keeps playing well and he can stay on the field all that sort of thing where where it's like you just haven't seen that kind of potential uh in in like maybe the last four years
0: definitely and then one more person on the infield that isan diaz he's basically had to take over third base since ryan anderson's been hurt, a position he hasn't naturally played and he's finally looks like a he's starting to Get there defensively He start, He made a few really good plays in the Brave series And then offensively I know everyone's looking at the batting average Let me double check to see what the exact number was As of the end of the homestand uh, He was only hitting 146 But his on-base percentage Is 294 He's drawn 20 walks in 120 play appearances. I know you're rolling your eyes here, Dre. But when you look at a sixteen the 16% walk if,
1: rate. If, if, if people could see yeah. me, I just did yeah. my Clark Spencer face yeah. right now. But. Yeah, no,
0: but I'm just but just the point of the only there are only nine other guys in baseball walking at a higher rate than he is, or getting on base consistently as that. It's still the point of something. It's
1: something, right? Yeah. Let's just say it's something. But, but
0: yeah. again, would you rather see the Walk rates or of some of the other prospects were just striking out forty percent of the time. Keeping when they
1: come him up. up right now, let's put it that way.
0: I and think. would you rather it be keeping him up versus having him there, knowing that it's going to be a strikeout? No, every time? of course. Yeah.
1: No, 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 no. I, I get it. No, no, I'm not. I'm not knocking. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a positive, but it's yeah. like he's you, you.
0: Yeah, how many you, guys, you can, you see, how many guys yeah. can you say have how many guys can say has a three fifty on base percentage in the month of June so far? Halfway. No, year.
1: not many. No, you're right. No. But I mean, one forty six is still look maybe maybe it'll it'll come together little by little there's progress there you know I guess I guess it's, it's <laughs> latch on to that and keep and keep working toward what they're trying to work toward with him but yeah I mean the fortune for him i guess in, in indirectly is the fact that you know he has that opportunity right now because there's not there's not a lot of options in the infield right now so you know he's, he's got to take advantage and, and keep progressing while he can right now
0: and also just the point that he's showing he can play third when it looked like he was basically only going to be a second baseman.
1: Right. Well, that's showing that, that
0: versatility is also Absolutely. especially I, for when Brian Anderson does come back. You can have him when the whole infield's back, and you can go to the Aguilar slash Leywin Diaz at first base. Correct. Jazz at second, Miggy is short, Brian Anderson at third, and then know that if Miggy needs a day, you can slide. Jazz over, you can play Easton at second. If Anderson needs a day, you can slide, you can slide Easton at third. You have Birdie cool. to play whenever you need. Yeah.
1: I mean, just versatility. I mean, that was the thing, scouting the system. I remember last year. You can't I mean, only playing only second, it just it seemed like it was so limiting for him. I mean, look at all the other potential middle infield options could play different at different spots. And you just looked at the long-term future. I said this could be a problem for him. So the fact that he's been able to do that and be effective, absolutely. That that in total agreement, that's a big step for him, has been a big step for him, and something that'll continue as much versatility for any player right now in baseball, the way things are, the way the game's played these days, it's just a bonus. It's a must. It really is for a lot of guys.
0: Yeah. Especially in the national league when you still have, at least for this year, you have to, you have starting pitching hitting, you know, you're going to double switches.
1: Yeah. Until that, until if, and when that, that universal DH finally comes even more.
0: Yep. And on that note, we're going to close the first half of the segment. I'm going to play some highlights from Kim Ang's press conference when she spoke to the media she talked to us for about 25 minutes on Tuesday, answered just about every question we had. So we're going to play a few highlights from that. And then when we come back in the second half of the show, we'll get into some minor leagues, and I will dive into the my first stop at the, one of the affiliates this year. So we will be right back after this and after the highlights from Kim Eng. How would you evaluate the offense overall to, through the first 60 games or now that we're at game 60? Yeah, you know,
2: with the offense, I know – I mean, and I think I've mentioned this before, I never anticipated them being, us being a real high scoring team. I don't think that's how we're constructed. Um, We've always uh, said that we were very pitching centric. Um, So, you know, I think, you know, I looked at it over the last day or so, is 70% of our games are determined by three runs or less. you know, and I think that says something about the pitching, you know, that with our pitching, we're, we're very much in it most of the time, um, you know, and with the offense, I think that really magnifies the, the importance of each and every run. Um, so, you know, I think if we had, you know, if we could get some more timely runs, this you know, would look a little bit different with all the roles that you've had um, in Major League Baseball, being a first time GM now, how are you watching these games? And what's going through your mind differently, like any decision making or anything of that sort? Than in my prior positions or is that what you yeah. yeah, than in your prior positions. Well, I'm watching a lot more intently, I can tell you that much. You know, and and obviously I've had, you know, as a general manager you need to have a lot more conversations with staff, um, and you know, to, to have a greater understanding of re- really what's you know, going on under the hood. So I think it's with a much closer microscope that I've been watching these games, um, you know, and and also knowing sort of you know what your plan B's and plan C's are, and how those you know how those are coming up behind you, and you know, whether you're well armed or not, but. It's, you know, it's just with a much closer magnifying glass than in the past. Have you been personally comfortable with, let's say, all the decisions or any decisions that you've made so far? Have you ever thought at night or something like, oh, I shouldn't have done that? Um, you know, look, I think, you know, there, we all have our own opinions. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I haven't necessarily agreed with every single decision. But I think you also have staff that you know that you that you've hired that you have in place that are that are making those calls. And I and I would say the same you know for them. We probably haven't liked every roster move that we made um, up here in the front office. Or you know you have fans out there who are not always going to agree. So um, I do think we have our own opinions, but that's okay. I think you know as long as you have um, good communication and open dialogue, you know you have a better understanding of. Of
0: where each other stands. All right, we're back, and as we have been doing for the second half of the show, it's time for that minor league roundup. And I spent three days last week in up in Jupiter checking out the Low A team. And I'll just say right off for the right off the bat, I forgot what Low A baseball looked like. I'll just <laughs> say that right
1: from the start. <laughs> Jordan, let's see, let's hear about your trip to a Low A Crocs and. Uh, and- <laughs> and how well did that go
0: well first off getting back to crux that was priority number one i was there i was up there tuesday wednesday thursday and i believe i stopped at crux four times total so crux thank you for keeping me caffeinated for all three of the games i covered including the wednesday game that before i woke up completely forgot was a noon game so that was also greatly appreciated but in general i mean jupiter hammerheads the marlins have a pretty good number of their top 30 prospects at the low A level. Uh, Second round pick Dax Fulton from the 2020 draft, Yuri Perez, a right-handed pitcher who they got in the 2019 international free agent period. And the two who really impressed me on the position player side are two names that a lot of you guys know about. We've talked about on the show a few times. Uh, Victor Mesa Jr. And Nassim Nunez, both in terms of the interviews I got to do with them and just watching them on the field. They both look as advertised. Nassim Nunez, it's the second he gets on first base, whether it's a hard hit single into the outfield, a bunt, a walk, a hit by pitch. Within the next 45 seconds, he's going to be on second base. He's going to have second base stolen and very likely he's going to be debating whether or not he can get the third the, on the next pitch as well. He always looks like he has the green light. He has. He understands what cues to look for from the pitchers when he's going to steal bases. And also he's taking advantage of the new rule in LA where it's, you can only throw so many pickoff attempts. So hmm. he's able to take advantage of that where you only get X amount or else it's a bulk and you, what is
1: the limit? So people know, like if you uh, want to. Watch it's LA.
0: two per plate appearance.
1: Interesting.
3: Okay. So
0: you're, yeah, the pitchers only allow two pickoff attempts per plate appearance on the guy. So basically if they do it on that scene, the first two times, From there on now, he's able to just right. Oh, he's able to. it's up for
1: the catcher. If not, yeah,
0: yeah. So he's done really well. And Victor Mesa Jr. He's his at bats again. I only saw him. He was only in the lineup for he was in the lineup for two games and left early in the third. But his at bats all the quality. He made a lot of loud contact, especially the first game I saw up there. Had a double straight to the wall in right center for uh, that drove in J.D. Orr and then was quick on the base pass. The next at bat to score again they're still in there. they're still teenagers they've still got a lot of development to go but to see the glimpses in person was mm-hmm. a po- was definitely a positive and it was great to actually see it, not just looking at the stat lines like we've had to do with Lowey specifically
1: Well, a has a lot of potential i mean the, on the defensive side that's been something that's always been talked about this kid has good instincts there and the plus speed like you're talking about not just the plus speed but like the, like you said the technique too knowing when to, to you know, to, to attempt to steal that sort of thing, but that you know it has to get on obviously, and and what he could do with the plate has been the question mark. So any strides he's making down there are good to see because if this kid can put it together, he could be a, another dynamic infielder by the time he's ready down the road. I mean, we're talking to, we're here talking about Jazz and what what type of an electric middle infielder he can be. Nassim Nunez, if the if the bat ever comes around, could be a similar type that can come up and be a huge part of this organization. So that's definitely encouraging to see. I like that you mentioned Yuri Perez too. I know he was one of the guys I think that I mentioned as a as a sleeper in the system. I mean, just the height is impressive yeah. to come in like that. At that young of an age, you're already 6'9". I mean, good Lord. And, and that imposing presence on the mound. I'm sure he's like super real thin though. Like the kid kind of build up a little bit once he gets older. But I mean, the fastball, the combination that he's got, the, another power pitcher with that kind of size, That that's an interesting dynamic to see as he will develop little by little and where he is already at this point is a little no further along than, than even now that I thought he'd be. So that's, that's good to, that's encouraging. That shows you that he's putting up some good numbers, some good results and, and as impressed.
0: Yeah, no, specifically I was going to, I needed to address Yuri as well. He's six, eight, 200 pounds. He's only 18, he just turned 18 years old. Yeah. He's through, he's six starts into his minor league career in low a, he has a 0.86 ERA with 30 strikeouts over 21 innings. The yep. fastball, when I saw him that first day on Tuesday, was sitting 93 to 96. He showed some bright spots with his curveball, showed some bright spots with his changeup. His delivery was the main thing for me. It looked like he was throwing from the same spot every single pitch. His That's delivery yeah. looked repeatable, which is a question mark, especially, especially a, a young pitcher like that. Yeah. That young and a guy of that height with that mm-hmm. lankiness. The fact that he was showing the repeatability right. was a positive sign that I took away. And just a couple talks, that conversations, quick conversations I had with some people from Marlins player development who were out there, the exact words that I got from them were they simply just called him a freak. They said that he potentially could become one of the bigger name pitchers that they have in the organization if he pans out and mm-hmm. continues to develop, which obviously is the key thing here. Again, right. 18, six starts in and they just they echoed basically what i was saying between with the repeatable deliveries he can keep that up that's yeah. going to be the key for him as he keeps going and they've been very pleased with what they've seen from him through the first month mm-hmm. and a half of minor leagues especially knowing that he didn't have that 2020 season that he yeah. would have had to start yeah, off
1: very and, and i like very good observation by you about that because at that level you know some people get too caught up in the numbers too but you saw that's very important, especially at that point. He's—I was going to say—he's at a delicate point in his development, where he's still really young. And then that kind of a that kind of a, a of a body figure on the mound too. You don't want him like flying all over the place. Like it, it, he's got his delivery, his technique down, and he's been taught well so far. So that, that's definitely important and good to see. I mean, that could be—you know—we've talked about the, how they have to be good on the international market as well. That's a, that's, a, that's definitely a, a, could turn out to be a pretty good signing for them you know, down the road. That would be huge.
0: Yeah, definitely. And we're going to play a little bit of the interviews I got to do with both Nassim Nunez and Victor Mason Jr. in a little bit. But really quickly, just to look at some of the other guys, uh, Jesus Sanchez, yeah, he's still hitting bombs. We all know that. Uh, What was the one? I think it was on the, recently. Well, was what? Five hundred and eight feet, I think. Is what it was, uh, yeah, what according
1: was it? according to 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 the fine folks or the uh, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, five hundred eight footer. They apologized to Trevor Lawrence in case it hit his car in the Jaguars parking lot. I think maybe he hit one of the wrestlers over there and in, in <laughs> during during AEW Dynamite maybe if they were playing at that time. But all kidding aside, five hundred. If that really was five hundred eight, wow. I mean, well, we know the power is there. We know the power is there. But the consistency that he's had this year of displaying that power and the way he's hitting repeatedly, like, game after game, that's what's impressing me, the fact that he is really putting up those results. And now it's just a matter of, you know, can that carry over to the next level? You know, like not like it did last time where it kind of got to him a little bit. Can he get there and produce, if not like this, but at least have, you know, not be as bad as it was last time, not, you know, kind of show those results show that same approach once he gets to the level because obviously we know the pitching is going to get way way tougher when he gets to the majors at some point this season
0: yeah and that home run was just part of another typical three-hit game for him uh he's up to i think his ops is now like 1043 so the fact his ops is still over a thousand going six weeks into the season
1: yeah that's what you love to see
0: it's Mm. definitely promising Um, I don't, I haven't done my exact numbers yet diving in, but based off the stuff that I've been looking at through social media and just watching the other affiliates, uh, Max Meyer had another solid start. Jake Eater went six innings for the first time in Uh, double-A. Gerard Encarnacion on Sunday hit two home runs. So we're finally seeing that power from him, which that's going to be and is going to have to be his bread and butter. So there are were some and, more good things on there. We'll get the full recap for the minor leagues online when we write that story up. And I don't think we we, did, we didn't talk too much, if at all, about Lewin Diaz's homer, his first career Correct. homer. No, did we. we? Didn't. I mean, we did not, and we yeah. that I, we'd be remiss if we didn't.
1: Yeah, that was that was big to see. I remember we and and we I'd mentioned we've been mentioned for weeks now, and, and that was a point I kept making like. I, I Sooner than later, Lewin Diaz is going to be there. It was even sooner than the sooner I thought because of circumstances, but there you go. I mean, you know, defensively he, I think the kid's shown that he's ready, but it was good to see him get that first homer because we both have seen this in person at the lower levels. Yes, we have. And and now it was good to really see it at Marlins park. And I think it's just the beginning for him. I mean, this kid's going to be pretty good. And he's going to be, I think he's going to be a good first baseman. And, you know, again, he's up now but I think he's gonna be able to entrench himself into that spot sooner than later I think maybe later this summer there's a window there that could happen
0: definitely and we when he hit the ball and he just he stared for a solid second half and was like yeah. yeah I finally got it yeah smiled and smiled his entire way around the base pass which when he was up here last year it just when the success wasn't coming you could tell sort of like with Jesus Sanchez you were able to tell mm. that it was impacting him mentally, The finally to see that one ball fly and to know that what he was doing in triple a for the first month was actually resonating and paying off at the big league levels. You, you were able to see that crack of a smile, which for a guy like Lee, that just, you could tell that meant the world to him. And that's just, if you can keep that mental part of him in a positive state, you know, he's going to find that way to start cruising.
1: And, And sooner or later, Jesus, depending on moves that are made in the next month and a half, Jesus will get that opportunity. And then that's what you hope to see. Like you said, like you hope that he comes up and it's not the deer in the headlights. It's not, you know, the moment it, he has that happen to him as well, where he can show that and those tools at the major league level and have, and have the results like that.
0: Yep, definitely. And to cap the show out, like I mentioned earlier, here are some snippets from my interviews with a couple of the prospects for Jupiter First up, uh, shortstop Nassim Nunez. So, I guess let's just get started. Uh, you only have 23 stolen bases this year. Why Why is it that low, man?
3: <laughs> oh, man. Why you say it's only 23? Only, it's
0: only 23. I thought you'd have a lot more by now, man.
3: <laughs> it's my favorite number. I got to stick to it.
0: <laughs> I like it. I like it. But in a more serious note, can you walk me through your approach when you're on the base paths? What are you looking for? Is there a certain thing that you recognize with pitchers when you're deciding whether or not you're going to go and try to swipe a bag?
3: Um, really, when I get on the bag, I kind of have a mentality where I tell myself nobody's going to throw you out. You're 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 going to steal this bag, and there's little things that help me to the, to decide with my first base coach and the manager whether or not I'm going to be safe by by a little less margin or a lot more. So. I would say, really, I'm learning about the timings now, kind of like how fast the pitch is to the plate and incorporating like the pop times of the catchers. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like you're a guy who more or less always is going to have a green light out there?
3: Yes, sir. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Um, and then you've been drawing walks pretty steadily all year. We've seen the approach at the plate. You're finally starting to get some hits there, too. Is there any adjustments you've been making to making at the play with your swing or whatnot now that you're starting to get a little bit hot out hot out there?
3: I believe the adjustments are just coming with reps and getting more at bats. Because since we had that whole year off, it was a little rough start, kind of trying to find the swing, find that tune. And now it's like I'm seeing and I'm able to adjust to what's being thrown at me. So I'm just trying to find to my swing. And I've always believed that. If you could focus and dial in on the pitcher, you'll see what's coming. So, as long as I don't swing the balls, I'll be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. And knowing what you can do on the base paths, and of course what what you can do with your glove, just how important is it for you to show that you can be that steady hitter at the plate? You can get on base. You can do that to find, to just fully round out your game.
3: My main goal is just to get on base, however I can. If it's a if it's a hit, great. If it's a walk, great. Hit by pitch, great. Who knows? Maybe I hit a homerun. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah,
0: and with that, the game last night, bases loaded, two outs, bottom of the ninth. Were you when you get when you get a walk off with a walk off walk? Just mentally, just how different does that feel versus getting the walk off by playing the ball in play? <laughs>
3: um, for me, I'm a competitor, and I I want to see my hard work result in the game. So of course, I want to hit a ball, but at the end of the day the objective of the game is to win and we won. So I wouldn't do that game or that at bat, my fault. Like, um, just knowing we just need to win. So I didn't go up there trying to do too much, trying to be a hero. Just like, let's just win the game. I'm going to take whatever the game gives me.
0: Definitely. And I asked Victor about it, but your relationship with Victor, just how did you guys hit it off way back when? And by way back when, I mean like a year and a half ago, but just what was it about <laughs> your guys that? What was it about that first that first moment that you that really hit it off for you guys?
3: Um, we both love the game. We both love the game, and we both have a high energy, uh, a great spirit, trying to put out towards the game. We we want to play the game as hard, and we want to win. And he came out with the dynamic duo, and it just rose.
0: Yeah. What do you remember from the first time that you that you interacted with him with Victor? Yeah.
3: Um. I knew I knew he was different. I knew he was a he was a ball player. He moved like a ball player. And the first time I seen him was on a field when I was getting a little tour of the complex when I first came in, and he stood out to me. So, yeah. and when he first came up and spoke to me and introduced himself, I was like, "Oh, he's a big dude."
0: <laughs> yeah, off the field, away from baseball, what do you, what do you guys have in common? What do you guys do away from the ball field and things of that nature?
3: <laughs> um, he sends me a lot of Netflix shows and some movies and stuff. <laughs> And I guess we both like being on Instagram.
0: There you go. And then uh, last, He's always sending me videos
3: and stuff on Instagram, nice. sending me little <laughs> voice messages.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, last thing, what was your biggest takeaway from being in big league spring training this past spring?
3: My biggest takeaway was learning and making adjustments. Mm-hmm. For not not beating yourself up over something you do, because then you could block out a blessing of like say you fail in doing something or you don't accomplish it the way you want to accomplish it. If you downplay yourself so much and just harp so much on what you did wrong and don't try to see the brighter thing, like the brighter side of things, you might block out a blessing. Like you never know. Just that's kind of what I go through this season. Anytime I do something wrong, I want to learn from it. I don't want to harp on it and beat myself up about it. I want to learn from it and take something good out of it. Uh,
0: And and with that, what's the biggest thing that you've learned about Nassim Nunez so far this season?
3: I've learned that anything I put my mind to, I can do. Just with a matter of time. Mm -hmm.
0: And then, curious, since we brought up the 23 at the beginning, what does the 23 symbolize?
3: My father's number. Yeah.
0: All right, awesome. That's everything I need, and always appreciate the time, man. Thank you. And then to wrap up the show, here is Victor Mesa Jr. We're a month into the minor league season. How have you felt so far?
4: Um, uh, been feeling good. Like we up, down, you know how it's baseball. I used always just trying my best and trying to help my team. Uh everything good, just trying my best every day on the trainings and the games. Uh I think we got, we, we got a good thing, and we can do like something else. You like keep fighting, and the result will be at the end.
0: Uh, for you personally, how tough was last year when the minor league season got canceled? What did you do to try to make sure you were ready for when the season picked back up?
4: Okay, like that was hard last year when we didn't play. Was hard, like almost almost like crying, huh? <laughs> when I know the when I see the news, but. That's good. That's happened. That's the same for everyone. Like, I just trying like, to work hard, That that, uh, that season off, like, trying to go back, get, uh, gain weight. That uh, was uh, what I needed because I was, like, a little skinny on my first year. But I used, like, work hard, get good, uh, uh, preparation in Miami. I did a good off-season, trying to do my best to, to be, like, in, in shape and, and on timing, on everything in baseball, like for this season.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the off season. I saw uh, Miggy, Miguel Rojas. You worked out with him a little bit toward the end of the offseason. season. What was that like? And just to have the trust and just that relationship with some of the guys who were up at up at, up with well, the big league well, club.
4: That was like a dream come true because that was no no. Miggy it was even Miguel Miguel Cabrera mm-hmm. Sandoval machine a lot of guys I'm a, big, I'm a big guy that they be like a go to on, on this sport and personally I'm, I'm their friend so I'm feeling good to work with them that's like push me to work harder every day to to come be there and I say okay I'm one of them I don't wanna be like you know like we were like two or three like minority guys and we were like okay we are working on the on this place wasn't the uh, things source of facility. Uh, we were like a big group, a big good group. Like our relationship was like a, how I say it, it was a dream coming through to work with them. I'm really happy and thankful for this opportunity.
0: And through this season, what are some specific goals you're trying to work on this season?
4: Uh, I use like I, I'm not trying to do. Uh, I'm a, I'm not a specific guy. Right? I use like I'm a I'm a player that I like to do everything. Mm-hmm. I like to still, I like to work. I like to. To hit homers, I like to touch, I like to throw. So I try to do everything. I don't, I don't got any emphasis on anything. I just try to do my best every day, uh, do what I know because that's what I've been doing for 14, 15 years. So no pressure. You just try my best and do whatever the best one.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with Nassim Nunez. I know you two got really, really close right at the beginning. How did that start, and how was your friendship blossomed over these last couple of years, bro?
4: I I can't even explain that because it wasn't. Remember that I was here my first year, and that was like real quick because uh even when he arrived, my English that wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. So when when he came here in 2019, he come for a draft. He used, we got like two weeks to start the season. I don't know. We did a good relationship, like. We got the same like we like the same things. I uh, he's a funny guy. I like to be with him. Like I think he's the best teammate that I can get. So I like, was trying to get together to the big. And-
1: Boy, Victor's English is much better.
0: Oh my goodness! That was the first thing that I noted when he walked into the interview room and. Uh, Ryer, the intern down the media intern in Jupiter, he mentioned to me, he went, "Okay, Jordan, here's Victor." And Victor said, "No, I went, hey Jordan, how's it going? Let's do this." And I was just like, I was just silent for a few seconds. He looked at me go, "Are you okay?" I scrambled. <laughs> yeah. I go, "Yeah, sorry, the internet connection messed up here. Sorry about that." And You're flustered. But, yeah, but just from what he, <laughs> from the time we talked to him, I believe it was either late 2019 or early 2020 at a hitters camp, you could tell he the he had the effort in the initiative and want to to speak in English. And mm. he gave some pretty good stuff then, but you could tell that he was still getting there. But between then and now it's just been night and day. And I asked him specifically about it. And he said, well, being around the guys and watching Netflix specifically, he referenced blacklist as his go-to show of choice. <laughs> he said that'll help. But then he also brought up when he met with Derek Jeter for the first time after that showcase, before they signed, he said yeah. at that point, they, he only really knew how to answer three phrases in English. What's your name? How old are you? And how are you doing? Derek Jeter comes up to him and goes, how are you doing? And Victor responded, I'm 16. And he think, and then he said, he goes, in the back of my eye, I'm just going, damn it. I just messed up here. I can't do right. that. Man. And damn. that really started that drive toward him wanting to learn the language and all the credit to him for being able to do that. That was just absolutely phenomenal to Hear that, and I give him all the credit in the world he, for it. He's a
1: he's a fun kid. I sat down with him when I was still at the athletic for about half an hour one day and talked to him in Spanish at that point, point. and just fun personality. He was telling me just about like growing up in Cuba, all of that. But you know, like that. So it's good to see. It's good to see like when you know, like now the language barrier doesn't get in the way. And now people, you know, can hear him in English as well and see how he can express himself in both languages now with that vibrant personality. That's, 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 that's cool. That's cool. That's cool that you're able to do that.
0: Yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out and also give him immense credit for the fact that he ended up having to serve as the translator when I did my interview with Yuri Perez as well. So (laughs) there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Long story short, the translator who was supposed to be helping out, I got told last second that things didn't work out. So I finished with Victor Mesa and then Yuri walks in and Ryer, the intern goes, Hey, Victor, can you translate? And Victor went, I can try. And he (laughs) was able to relay my messages to him. He was able to relay everything back from Yuri. And he was able to help me out with a five minute interview with Yuri Perez. So Victor Mesa jr. If you're listening to this, once again, thank you so much for helping out with that. That really, (laughs) that really helped save some, save some time and save a little bit of stuff on my end. And I think
1: Victor don't take Louie's job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. louis got some competition now uh we'll see where that happens in a couple years but i think no, Victor he's, he's career he's
1: gonna be busy doing something else for, for the next few years yeah. at, the rate, at the rate he's going
0: yeah so i think that's this is a good stopping point here again thanks so much everyone for listening to the latest episode of fish bites i'm jordan mcpherson he's andre fernandez thanks so much we'll be back again next week